Thank you for joining us for this new Future of IT podcast. In this episode, we will continue our conversation about the future of work, from the rise of supertaskers to the shift to the non-traditional work environment. Tomorrow's workplaces are expected to be more collaborative and flexible than ever before. I'm your host, Don Brister, and joining me today is Rowan Trollope, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Cisco Collaboration Technology Group. We're also pleased to have with us Maribel Lopez, Principal Analyst and Founder of Lopez Research. So let's get started. One of the things the Cisco Connected World Technology Report pointed to was the emergence of the supertasker and that it's a key skill set companies will be looking to hire. How is technology and collaboration shaping the development of the supertasker? You know, I think uh, it's an interesting word. I've never heard an average person use the word supertasker. But, um, you know, I think that um, what's interesting is people that are very efficient. And when what we're now seeing is that people have who have the skill to collaborate very effectively, uh, which involves doing lots of things at once. Often, you know, sort of like checking with this person and connecting with that person, and you know, keeping their toe in the water on that project. Those people are much more valuable to business. You know, 20 years ago when I started working, uh, collaboration happened less frequently, and so if you look at the way we're taught in school the whole testing system is about memorization of information. And you, you, you learn in school that it's like, you have a bunch of knowledge, you memorize that knowledge, and then you get tested on your ability to remember it. Then you enter the workplace, and that, that might have been fine in an in a industrial, you know, manufacturing-oriented economy, where you're, like most people's success relied on their ability to like, replicate things reliably. But that was 80 years ago, 50 years ago, and now we're in a new world where collaboration is the hallmark of success. And your ability, when you went to the workplace, could you imagine if your boss told you, uh, okay, Rowan, so uh, welcome to your new job. I want you to go sit in that corner, don't open the internet, don't call anyone, and go figure out this problem. Uh, and you based on only things that you already know. So you can imagine how insane that sounds. And that's not how the world works. The world works where it's like, hey, here's a problem you need to go solve. I expect you to work with everyone. I expect you to know where you can leverage the resources around you. I expect you to be you know, uh, connecting to all manner of different places and getting other, enlisting other people to help you solve this collaboratively. So we're, our school system clearly hasn't kept up with preparing people for the workplace. Uh, and, and people, we call, you call them super taskers, but people who are fundamentally good at the skill of collaborating uh, are going to get promoted more often. They're going to have more opportunities in front of them because they're going to be better at solving the problems of today's businesses. And so it's something that our tools need to enable. And frankly, you know, it, it connects to what I said earlier about the cost and the sort of the, the barrier of the technology. We want to enable those kind of uh, collaborate, you know, collaboration experts, uh, people that are really good at that, to be able to leverage the tools very informally and sort of like uh, seamlessly to, to operate the way that they need to operate to get work done. Uh, and so that's, I think, a big part of how we think about building the next generation of tools is make these things that enable people like that to be way, way, way more effective than if they just had to be relegated to things like phone and email. You know what I think is interesting about this? It's it's this come it's this thing that we were just talking about in terms of it happening um, seamlessly. I don't think supertaskers know they're supertaskers, and I don't think that 
anybody that's coming into the workforce today um, realizes how complicated collaboration is, right? They just expect to be able to do things and connect to people, and they expect to be able to do it with a wide range of tools um, in any different method they think is interesting. So maybe I want to send you a message, maybe I want to do a uh, video chat with you, maybe I want to send you documents and have you mark them up, maybe we want to work on those documents online together at the same time or at different times, right? And when they're in university, all this happens, but when you go into the workforce, it doesn't happen. So I think we're moving into this new zone of um, what you know we talked about with millennials. It's not just that they're young and that they won't accept the tools. It's, it's that they really have a much better work style in, than we've had in the past. It's part of that change in technology. So it really is about how can I get access to information. You know, a lot of us, when we were building these technologies, the Internet wasn't a big thing, right? So it wasn't assumed that everything was going to possibly be accessible and online and just easy to find and easy to share. And that's a big change in mindset that I think is what gets you to this concept of what a super tasker is. There's somebody that can effectively use all the tools that are available to them. So it's our job to make sure that the next generation of collaboration tools allow them to do that. I, I see this, and I've seen this throughout my sort of time in business. But um, you sometimes see it in big companies where people have people believe that they will be successful by hoarding information and not sharing it with others. It's completely insane, and it actually pisses me off when I see this. Um, and Maybe that was true, like at one time in the past when, you know, projects took a little really long time and like how much you knew was sort of like that was your currency within an organization. And it's so not true today, it's just like ridiculous. And yet those people continue to persist in believing falsely that this is the way that they're going to be successful. You see it all the time, like people in big companies are like, can I get invited to that meeting? No. Can you share this information with me? No answer. Um, and so that is definitely an anachronism in terms of a, a business behavior that is no longer a part of what is involved in being successful, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so, you know, the, um, the tools that we're building are, and, and frankly, I think it even affects, just to go back to that, it even affects things like the perception of, you know, like secrecy and, and privacy of information. So not privacy, but like confidentiality. So for example, if you're working on a project that takes two to three years to complete, it's pretty darn important that nobody finds out about what you're doing, like because you don't want them to learn about it because then they'll get a leg up on you. But if you're working on a project that or on a piece of a project that takes a couple of weeks, uh, if somebody copies what you did, it doesn't matter because you're moving so quickly that they're never going to catch up. You know, it's like they'll never catch up if they're copying what you did a year ago or six months ago. So, so I think the next generation of workers or, or workers who are sort of more enlightened, they're, they're thinking about these things all the time. It's like, look, if you got a copy of my source code in the case of software developers, like that's what I wrote two weeks ago, and that's not even what's really relevant, frankly. What's relevant and what's really hard to copy is the culture. It's how do we work together as a team to build cool stuff? Because you could give two completely different sets of team, two different teams the exact same starting place and the team with the best culture is the team that's going to win. The team that had all the same information in the same starting place, they're not, they're not advantaged by having that information. So that shows up in the leverage and the use of tools. For example, employees bringing their work and putting it out on Dropbox. They don't worry about that as much from a security risk perspective because it's kind of like, hey, if they find out what our plans were from four months ago, who cares? Right? We've moved on. We're moving super fast. Um, 
And so I think that it's really a very significant change in the behavior and the way that people think about getting work done and what tools they use, both from a security perspective, but also just from how they manage information, you know, being more defaulting to open versus defaulting to close. Defaulting to close was the past. Defaulting to open is the present and the future. So the tools have to default to open. So for example, at Google, uh, there is an unwritten policy, which is anyone can go to any meeting. And uh, when we build our next generation, as we're building our collaboration tools, we make it so that conversations are by default open, which means people can see the conversation content, right? It's, it's more, much more easy to get involved and see what's going on. The default of the past, like email, conversations are closed. And that, so it's a fundamentally a transition from closed to open in society, in government, in the way that we work. You, know, you can look at governments that are adopting this approach where uh, some very you know, forward-looking states are publishing their budgets online, like this age of transparency. It's one of the reasons why you know, the Arab Spring you know, started to fall apart was, look, all of this transparency and available access to information was there uh, because of Twitter and social media in, the, in, in, in that context. That kind of thing is happening to big business as well, and it's fundamentally disrupting business and how we do work. That's great for us in the collaboration industry because it plays right into the trend that we've been trying to promulgate and drive for years, which is more open, more collaboration, more communication equals better and more uh, competitive business. And I think that just once again reiterates what you both were saying earlier about people being more comfortable working on, on the tools that are effective for their work styles. According to the survey results, we had seven in 10 HR professionals believing that Generation Y or millennial employees are better, more efficient if they're able to use their own mobile devices and apps. And I think it's because they're, you know, that certainly reinforces what you're saying about collaboration. But it, it also kind of leads us to another question, because as the millennials are entering the workforce and we're seeing some generational shifts and behavioral shifts that come along with them, um, that's, an, that's a generation that's grown up with these consumer mobility collaboration tools, which have traditionally been the purview of consumer companies. Do you think Apple and its peers are going to continue to drive this market, or as collaboration becomes more of a business requirement, do you think there's a B2B player on the horizon for mobility collaboration? I think there's room for both, and I think people look for both, and I think that they are good at driving different elements that's healthy for the industry. So when I think of this, I think of the consumer vendors driving a concept of what is user experience? You know, what do actual end consumers want for user experience? I know Rowan talks about this this concept of if it's not excellent, it's not going to be used, right? So I think that drives um, what the requirement is for enterprise vendors. And I think that enterprise vendors deal a lot more with things like um, the reliability, the security, the breadth of features that one might need, right? And really, you can pull these two things together, and you have an amazing product category. So I think that we're going to see both, and I think that they're going to inform each other's decisions on what it takes to actually build a best-in-class product in this space. I've often told people, I'm, I'm, there's, I, have, I have a work life and a personal life, but there's just one me. Like, there's only one Rowan. When I'm at work and I'm at home, there's not like some different set of, you know, I don't have a different person. It's like, you know, you don't like go into the, uh, you know, into the 
changing room and come out like as a different personality. And I think that, that the tools reflect who we are as humans, so they need to. And because we, we're seeing a, this trend towards work-life, not just work-life balance, but work-life blend that just seamlessly blends those things together, the tools have to enable that. And therefore, the difference between work tools and home tools blurs, that there isn't really that much of a difference. Maybe the only difference is that in one case, IT can set some computer policies. That's become true of email, uh, where it's like I have email at work, I have an email at home, maybe there's a different email address, but it's frankly a lot of people blur them. They use their personal address for work things and their work things, work email for personal, and they get blended. Despite the fact that, you know, if you're an IT security professional, you would say that's a bad practice. People do it anyways. So, um, you know, we just have to get over it and say, well, people are using the tools the way they want to be used. Um, I think that uh, we're going to see more and more and more of that and blurring of the line. I do think you know, in the enterprise and consumer space, there's been a view that, well, in the enterprise space, the person buying your widget or your thing that you're selling isn't typically the user. You know, uh, if they're buying a conferencing software, the person who's writing the check in IT isn't the person who's using it day in and day out to have the meetings. One of the things that we've seen in the enterprise space is like, it's typically been pretty acceptable to have crappy user experiences. And uh, because, you know, the buyer will just load up on tons of requirements that, frankly, employees didn't necessarily ask for, but they were just requirements. And I think the toy industry is a good analogy here in, in, in terms of what's happening in business collaboration software. In the toy industry, you've got product managers in the toy industry understand very well that you have buyers and users, parents and kids. The parents... Uh, are the ones that care about, you know, no small choking parts and this and that and the other thing. And, oh, that looks like it's going to be educational. And the kids are the ones who care about playing with it. And if you only sell to the parents uh, and build for the parent, you end up with a box full of unused toys, which is pretty much what happens in my house. And then, like, my little daughter, Penelope, is in the kitchen banging around with pots and pans and, like, wooden spoons while I have hundreds of dollars of toys sitting in a toy box not being played with. In, in business, it's the same. We have basically a toy box with not hundreds of dollars, but millions and billions of dollars of undeployed tools and technologies that the users, the kids, aren't using because they weren't built with users in mind. So the idea of how you build software in the enterprise has to completely change. It has to change towards how do you build things that users really want to use, and in other words, that kids want to play with. And if you do that, and then you can check the boxes of the buyer regarding their requirements and their specific things that they need. Then you've got a recipe for success. So it's a blending of what's been successful in consumer and what's been successful traditionally in enterprise. That's ultimately, I think, going to be uh, that's going to sort of be the hallmark of the future of business tools. Yeah, I think it gets back to what you were saying earlier about there's only one you, and I think from the perspective of the vendors the vendors don't even see themselves as enterprise or consumer in the same way they used to, right? We're trying to support people across the breadth of how they want to use technology. And people will bring their own tools, so it's incumbent upon the vendor to make sure that they're providing the best set of tools because there is bring your own app, bring your own service, bring your own device. There's a lot of BYO going on right now. Um, we, we've talked about a lot of things that will be different about the way we work, and several times we've touched on IT policies, security policies. Um, I think one of the things that will be important to our listeners is 
how can the CIO become the hero of this new workplace? What, what do you think needs to evolve about the way CIOs think and, and deploy technology to be, make them the center of enablement? There's a lot of things that CIOs can do um, right now. You know, one of it, I think we've been touching on this a lot, is there is going to be a lot of BYO. It's making, under, making sure you understand how to provide that in a way that is safe and secure for the organization, and there's a lot of tools to do that around enterprise mobility management. And those EMM tools have to be tools that allow the person to use the device the way they would have wanted to use it, the reason why they bought the device in the first place, not change it into some other hybrid Franken device that you know wasn't what they originally required. Um, and I think also this concept of being able to offer services seamlessly across your company and outside of your company. You know, the concept of uh, connected communities, I think, is another thing that uh, CIOs need to think about because you're going to need to be able to have access to things that are outside your four walls. So how do you do that, and what are the tools that are going to allow you to do that? How are you going to have that seamless, uh, open collaboration? I think that Roman, uh, Rowan was talking about um, earlier is really important. I, I'm actually seeing a new breed of CIO who who are set up to be the heroes of the new workplace. Um, they are recognizing what's happening with their user base, and frankly, uh, they're standing up to uh, you know bad experiences, and they're saying this isn't what we want anymore. And, and you wouldn't be you'd be I don't know if you'd be shocked, but um, the number of CIOs that I talk to who tell me it's all about the experience. That's what I care about. In fact, they've even started to hire. Uh, you know, workplace experience, um, you know, like VPs, people that are solely responsible for the, the experience of the user uh, at the end, uh, the experience of the user at the front line. Um, I meet with them all the time. I met with them at a big healthcare organization uh, who signed up with us. And, uh, you know, the, the person who I met with is the head of the experience. And all that's really all they care about. So I think they've come a long way in recognizing this. And, um, uh, and so that's extremely refreshing uh, to see that transformation happening in IT and see, uh, uh, you know, CIOs really thinking, uh, thinking very um, critically about user experience and what they're going to be willing to put in front of their users and not willing to put in front of the users. And accepting, for example, I've talked to, you know, CEOs who basically say, my users should use whatever, to my, my employees should use whatever tools they want to use uh, to be the most effective that they can possibly be. And that's, that's, the, that's, I think, the right thought process. Uh, and then it's the job of the CIO to make sure that that, that can be realized, that the tools that they're using are, are enabling them to be as effective as they possibly can be, uh, yet still um, you know, work in an enterprise environment with the regulations and compliance rules that, that are out there that you, that you do need to follow. So um, we're starting to see really interesting behaviors by CIOs where they're segmenting their organizations, even in highly regulated verticals, where they're saying, well, you know, I, I know that I'm in a regulated vertical like healthcare, but not all of my employees fall under, like, you know, when, I'm, when we're not dealing with patient information regulated under HIPAA, maybe it's okay if we let people use, you know, different kinds of tools to connect and, and collaborate with one another. So they're really starting to get more fine-grained and less draconian with the policies and the approaches to, to uh, the jobs that have to be done. Uh, and that's empowering, you know, lots and lots of users to be more effective. So I think it's happening in front of us. I see it in lots of companies. Um, and just I think it needs to happen faster. 
Well, they want to be enablers, right? They they want to be seen as people that can help transition the company into the new world. So I think there's a lot more focus on how you can provide the right set of tools to do that and less draconian, as you said. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your insights today. It's been really great having you, Rowan and Maribel. For more on the future of IT, join the conversation at hashtag future of IT. Thank you.